I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You are now listening to the Playmaker Podcast. What's good, family? This is episode 77 of the Playmaker Podcast. I'm your host, Reggie Coleman. And today we have, we call him family now because this is second time on the podcast. We had him two years ago in October where he talked about basketball spotlight, his business, and, and how he loves to give back to the youth in some type of way. But this time we got him on. For a different reason, where where we he's sharing his story, what he's been through, um, up to this point. But we want to thank and welcome Mike Melton back to the show. What's up, man? How you doing, man? It's a joy to be here again, man. And wow, seventy seven shows. Yeah. I mean, you really kept it going, man. You guys really kept it going, man. That's that's a that's a blessing for you guys to really keep it going this long, man. I, I know how much work it take to. Produce a, a show like this and to keep it going and to keep the content going and to keep the people interested, man. So so salute to you and your co-hosts, man. I appreciate th- appreciate that. And shout out to my co-hosts, Shaquan and Keita. They couldn't make it today, but I know they're going to watch and, and enjoy this episode. So like I said before, this is Mike's second time on the show. And um, we're going to hear about his story. So I'm going to let you take the, the mic and, and go where you want to go with it. Um. It's mostly about survival and redemption. You know what I'm saying? Like, just um, my story was just featured on Cold Case Files, and it was featured in Ebony Magazine. You know what I'm saying? And um, back in 2009, man, I I found my wife murdered down in Neptune, New Jersey. And... um, that day, September 14, 2009, changed my life forever. You know what I'm saying? And um, she went, she ain't come to work that day, so they asked me to go check on her. And then I, I drive down to Neptune and, and go into the house, and I find her dad in the bedroom. And go down to the police station, you know what I'm saying? They take me down there to talk and this and that, and... Two days later, I find out that I'm the number one suspect. And, like, my life just was frozen at that point. And I didn't know what to do, bro. It was it was crazy, as you saw, as, as you watched the episode. You know what I'm saying? And it was, that was the first time and the only time in my life I contemplated suicide, man. And the three reasons I didn't do it was because, one... I didn't want to go to hell. Mm-hmm. Two, I didn't want my family to go through no more pain. And three, I knew I didn't do anything, and I wanted to see it through. I knew if I did something to myself that they probably would stop the investigation and 
and and just say, well, he must have did it. Mm-hmm. That's why he killed himself. Right. You know what I'm saying? And by the grace of God, I was able to make it to the day, but it was a long road, man. Mm-hmm. And before you keep going, um, speaking of you being ended up being the prime suspect, what was going through your mind at that point where you found your your ex, well, your wife at the time? Um, you knew you ain't do nothing, but then they bring you in for questioning and you think you just, it's just ordinary questioning how your relationship was or how, how, how was things going? But when they started to twist it in that, if you watch the cold case files, you'll know where I'm going with it. When that article came out in the paper and you can explain on it more, how did you feel like what was going through your mind at that point when you realized like, damn, they looking at me as if I did it. Um, it was like when I saw the questioning starting to turn, I was a little agitated in the interrogation. Um, as you can see when you watch the video. Um, but it got really real when I never forget I was walking in my mom's house and I was reading the newspaper and I read the the article and it didn't say where she was it says she was found. It didn't say who found her. Mm-hmm. And in the last paragraph, it said that she was estranged from her husband and they worked at the same job and their divorce was supposed to be final October 6th. And this was September 14th. And that's when it hit me like, whoa. I immediately went into a panic. You know what I mean? Then I had got a call from a guy named Ron Venturi. His son had his sons had played in my tournament, and Ron was like, I'm going to represent you pro bono because I know you didn't have nothing to do with this, but they're going to try to pin this thing on you until they, unless they find out somebody else. But right now, you they guy. And it just, was, it just was on from there, bro. So going through that, knowing, like, now people thinking you did it, but you're still out in the streets because they have nothing to charge you with at that mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. How was your day-to-day life going? Like, what were you doing? What were you thinking? What what mind state were you in during that time where you was in limbo? Like, you don't know yeah, what, what um, was going to happen and, and whatnot. Obviously, I couldn't go to work because we worked at the same job at Red Bank Middle School. And then I was just at home, and I tried to go to therapy. And when I was going to therapy, it helped some, but it really couldn't help that much because once I left the therapy office – this process was ongoing. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying? So I was still, I, I really just dove myself into my basketball company and really tried to just focus on that and, and working with the kids to try to take my mind off of what was going on. But it was terror mm-hmm. to wake up every day and wondering if today the day that they're going to come. Um, her family obviously turned their back on me. They was telling people I killed her. Mm-hmm. Um, the community thought I killed her. The prosecutors was was all down my back. I used to see them at different places. Um, I saw one of them at my homecoming when I went to mm-hmm. college. I didn't even know he went to Keene. Um, it was just like, and I started to drink a little bit, mm-hmm. and then it just started. Once I moved to Jackson around, I want to say, 2011, something like that, that's when things started to get worse because I was isolated at that point. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Once I moved down there, I think 2010, somewhere around there, 2011, I was isolated. I wanted to be in between Red Bank and Trenton because I was still, just in case I had to go back to work in Red Bank, but that's when it got, that's when it got wicked, man. Mm. So you started drinking. So what after that, all that's going on, when did they actually, I guess, find... So, I don't want to give too much of the show away, but they found evidence in the house. Yeah. And how can I... I'm you, can, just, you can talk about it because yeah, it's already, it's already on TV. Yeah. Yeah. So, they found evidence, and, and your fingerprints was on whatever the evidence was. So, mm-hmm. in that moment, you like I said, you knew you ain't do it, but after they found that evidence... How did you react? Um, what happened was they had asked me to come in for another interview. Mm-hmm. And my lawyer was told me, like, yo, like, they want, they want you to come in and see them. 
And I was like, cool, we could go in. And at first he was a little nervous. He was like, they might be trying to set you up or whatever. So we waited around. We canceled like once or twice. And then we finally went in. And that's when they told me, like, first they told me, like, that they knew I was trying to do my own investigation. Mm -hmm. See, what happened was one of my friends, like I said, like they said on the show, one of my friends had, I went to one of my friends upset because he was from that area. And I asked him to, to um, could he help me find out what happened? You know what I mean? And then he was like, um, all right. So he took me around, took me to Asbury, took me to the hood, and he he knew a couple of the gang members. So he 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 we he introduced me to one of the guys and told him like, yo, can you help him? Let him know what, he just want to know what happened to his wife. You know what I'm saying? So the guy was like, all right, come back in a couple of days and I'll let you know. So when I went in for the questioning, the cops already knew that I had talked to that guy. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So then they asked me about the the duct tape and this and that. And I told them, like, yo, I don't even know. I don't really remember if I touched any touched it or this or that or blah, blah, blah. And then they, and then they let me go again. So once I get out of there, I go back home or whatever and the stress is like really picking up, you know what I'm saying? And then things really got crazy when Ron, my lawyer, I'll never forget. He called me on the phone and was like, yo, you got to get used to living like this because most of these cases they never solve. And up to that point, I had faith in God that he was going to solve this case. And after Ron told me that, it's like I turned dark. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's when the drinking really, really started. And that's when the um the 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 lifestyles of like going on dating sites and meeting different women and, and all of that kind of stuff. I just dove into sin mm-hmm. because that's the only thing that made me feel normal at the time when all of this stuff was going on. You know what I'm saying? Then it got even more wicked and Around 2012, 13, I get a phone call from Ron, and and Ron is like, "Yo, Mike, I got bad news." And I, at this point, I'm thinking I'm going to jail. Mm-hmm. And Ron tells me, "Nah, Mike, I got brain cancer." And I'm like, "What do you mean you got brain cancer?" And he like, "I got brain cancer." So like six months later, Ron dies, and two days later, the prosecutors was knocking on my door again. But he had told me not to go see them without a lawyer or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I was telling them I'm not no, under no circumstances am I going to talk to y'all, this and that, and blah, blah, blah. So now I'm super terrified. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So now I'm going to work and and all that kind of stuff. They finally let me come back to work, but I couldn't go into the school buildings. I had to just work in the Board of Education office, and it was behind the building. So I'm looking at these kids as they get older and mm-hmm. this and that, but I can't going to the buildings, I can't talk to them, I can't, mm. none of that stuff. And I found out the hard way I had made a mistake and 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 went in the building because I didn't know. They never told me in the beginning that I couldn't go in. Mm-hmm. So I made a mistake and went in the building, then I came back, and then I had a memo on my desk mm. telling me, like, you. and then the superintendent called me and was like, you can't go in no buildings, you can't be around no kids or nothing. And I just blacked out and lost it. Mm-hmm. Like, yo, like... Telling them, like, yo, I didn't do nothing. Why y'all treating me like a criminal? You know what I mean? And the drinking picked up more and more. Just, like, feeling trapped. No matter where I go, it seemed like people was looking at me, pointing fingers. Even if they wasn't, Mm -hmm. that's how you feel. Right. You get what I'm saying? And you just develop a mindset of, like, this thing is never going to stop. Like, so... I just didn't care no more. Reckless living. And and I saw myself getting farther and farther and farther and farther away from God. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And um, then it came down to me. Another detective came on the case, Scott Samus. And this this is my guy, man. Like, we still close to these to this day. And Scott called me on the phone around 2014, 15, something like that. He called me on the phone and was like, Mike, I need to talk to you. I know what happened with your wife, and we need to sit down and talk. 
so we could get this thing straight. Now, but Ron had already told me, don't trust you. Mm-hmm. You know, act like they're your friends, this and that. So it took me like a year to sit down with Scott, man. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Scott was like, I'm going to take you out. We could get a burger or something. Or I said, nah, I ain't doing all that. I'm still winning hired an attorney from South Jersey. We went up and met in, um, met in um, Freehold, at an office in Freehold. And Scott was like, yo, Mike, um, um, this is what happened to your wife, man. She was living next door to a drug dealer, and the drug dealer had some money in the freezer, I think like 15000 or whatever, and his girlfriend was at a party running her mouth, and some stick-up boys was at the party, and they heard her talking about the um, money. And then they went to rob the dude, and they went to the wrong house. Mm-hmm. And he told me that's how my that's how my wife got murdered. And I'm like, damn, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, so now I'm feeling like, yo, like, I'm messed up right now. Like, I know I didn't um I'm happy that they know it wasn't me. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying? But I'm sad that she lost her life over that. Like, this is crazy. Like, you know what I mean? So I said, you know what? You need to go get something to You've been drinking. You've mm-hmm. been drinking a little too much. You need to go get some help. You know what I mean? So I jump on a plane and I um go down to uh rehab for the first time. I went to five five day five night detox at Sunrise Detox in Fort Lauderdale. And then I checked in the Ocean Breeze uh recovery. And then once I got in Ocean Breeze, um I made a near fatal mistake, man. I I compared myself to the people in there instead of identifying with them. Mm. When I went to my first meeting, I heard the amount of alcohol that one guy said he drank 1.75 liters a day. I knew that that was a half gallon. At that point, I was only drinking like a pint, a pint and a half. Mm. I was like, I'm not like him. There was another guy that was was drinking like hand sanitizers and hairspray and all of this stuff. And I'm like, I'm definitely not like him. And then another guy was like, um, what you, what's your morning rush? And I was like, what you mean morning rush? And he was like, what you drink in the morning to get going? And I was like, man, I don't drink in the morning. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, man, I don't belong here. So then I cut off my ability to learn. And I didn't want to go to AA meetings. I thought they was whack. I wanted to go to NA meetings because I wanted to hear the drug stories. I wanted to be entertained. Mm-hmm. And there was a tech there named Chris. And Chris was like, he was shaking the chair one day. And I was like, Chris, why are you shaking that chair? And he was like, because um, I'm saving this seat for you. Because mm. you ain't do nothing while you was here. And when you come back, you're going to be drinking twice as much. Mm. And I was like, Chris, you lost your mind. I ain't never coming back here. So I had a cousin that lived in Fort Lauderdale. And, and he um, he came, once I completed the program, he came and picked me up that night. I was supposed to get out Saturday morning. I told them I already did clinical on Friday, let me out that night. So they was like, cool, you could go stay, you could go. Um, My cousin coming to pick me up, and he like, what you want to do? And I'm like, yo, I ain't really been around the women like that. Let's go to the strip club. Mm-hmm. So we leave from the rehab and go to a strip club. And since I wasn't paying attention to rehab, I picked up, a, I started drinking. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'm thinking life is cool. This situation is done, blah, blah, blah. Everything is cool or whatever. So then I fly back home, you know what I mean? And and we, and we get back and um, I'm drinking, everything cool and this and that. I don't really feel no progression coming or whatever. And then I got a, a call from the prosecutors again. Mm-hmm. And they like, yo, Mike, we got to go to trial. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, and I'm like, why we got to go to trial? Y'all arrested the dudes, the three dudes. Like, what's going on? Blah, blah, blah. And he like, nah, we got to go to trial. These dudes don't want to take no deal. Mm. And you got to testify because you don't want that founder. And the only way they chance they got to get off is their lawyers got to say that you the one that did it. Mm. So now I'm shook because I don't know what they're going to ask me right. when I'm on the stand, the cross-examination, mm-hmm. and all of that stuff that's going on. I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying? Like, I'm scared. So since I didn't pay attention in rehab, 
and I don't have no program. You go back to what you knew. Drinking. Yeah. Drinking. You know what I mean? And it took us four years to get the trial, bro. Mm. You know what I mean? And at that time, I was retired from work mm -hmm. because they told me I needed to retire because I had PTSD. And I can remember being in at Red Bank walking down the hallway right before I retired and saying, you're going under. Mm. Because I knew I couldn't get wait. I couldn't wait to get home as it was to drink. Yeah. So now you're telling me you're going to send me a check every month and I don't got to leave my house. You know what I mean? So I started trying to drink drink like a gentleman at first. Mm -hmm. um, 1 o'clock, 12 o'clock. Next thing you know, I was at the liquor store at 9 o'clock in the morning, man. Mm. So let, let's talk about the drinking and your sobriety. Uh -huh. As we know, culture, rap music, everything that goes on nowadays in our inner cities and just in America in general, people glorify drinking, drugs, um, treating women wrong. Mm -hmm. What like what can you say to those kids, even well, anybody that's dealing with something that they don't realize they're dealing with it because they think it's normal and they, they only drink like you said, I watched one of your interviews, I think you said I only drink on the weekend. Like what's the mindset that you have now being sober for however long you are, have been sober? Like mm -hmm. what's some advice you can give them and what's some help they can get if they don't know if they need it or looking to get help? Um, right now I'm three years. I celebrated three years sobriety on Congrats on um that. April first. And what happened was we went to trial, I did I testified everything did good. Then on my birthday, this when God first came in my life, bro. I mean he was always there. But I really saw it was something going on mm -hmm. on my birthday, March 12th, 2019. The verdict came down in Freehold. Mm -hmm. All three of the dudes was guilty on all charges. Mm. So then my wife at the time, she had threw me a party down Atlantic City because, like I said, it was my birthday. So like two weeks later, she threw a party for me down at AC. And at this, at this point, I'm drinking around the clock. Mm. Like all day long. All day long. You know what I'm saying? And her her, her friends, all of them brought Ciroc to the party. And then I um and then I had the DTs that night. I was I had some shakes and then I was sitting next to one of my friends and I looked at him and he looked like a demon and I I didn't recognize him. Mm. And I told myself that night I wasn't drinking again, but when I woke up the next day, I realized I couldn't stop. So then I now I'm really drinking all crazy and stuff. And then my wife at the time, she worked for Dyfus, and she was like, yo, do you want me to take you to crisis? Mm. And that's what I was like, nah, I ain't going to crisis. And then I went down in the basement, and I got on my knees, and I prayed, and I was like, God, either help me or take me. And then that's when I knew I had to go back to rehab. So at first, I didn't want to go to Florida because I didn't like their rules, and I was ashamed. Mm -hmm. So I flew out the... Um, Palm Springs, uh, what's is out of Malibu, whatever that's in California. There. Yeah, I went out there to the rehab. The rehab was trash. I walked into the place. I'm like, I ain't staying here. Mm -hmm. But my wife and my dad was like, you're not coming back to Jersey, so mm -hmm. you better figure out what you're gonna do. So then I said, all right. So then she called down Florida, and then we on the phone negotiating how many days I'm gonna be there and this and that. So I fly down to Florida, do five days detox, and then I went into rehab and out of desperation on the first night I opened the book bro mm. I had never opened the book when I was there the first time mm -hmm. I opened the big book and the first couple paragraphs I really couldn't understand because my head was still foggy being coming out of detox but when I got to the chapter about more about alcoholism and it started talking about all the things we do to act like we're not alcoholic like only drink on the weekends only drink um on holidays I'm only gonna drink on vacation Changing brands mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying Doing all of this stuff To make it seem like We don't have a problem Now I'm looking at this stuff I'm like yo I immediately turned To the front of the book Because I wanted to see 
what year this book was written because they was talking about me in this book. Right. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, damn, this sound like me. So mm-hmm. then it was a story about a jaywalker that he kept going across the street. He'd get hit by a car, break his leg, mm. get out the hospital, go jaywalk again, break his leg. But they compared it to how we drink every day. No matter how we felt the day before, we kept telling ourselves, I'm not going to drink. I'm mm-hmm. not going to drink. And you wake up and then you do it again. And I'm like, damn, this is crazy. And then it was this, the one that scared me was, it was a, it's, it's a guy in the book and he's 30 years old and he says that that he was going to never, um, um, he was 30 years old and the drinker was messing with his business. He owned the business. Mm-hmm. And he said he was going to stop drinking and he wasn't going to drink until he retired. And he waited 25 years, bro. He was sober 25 mm. years. And he was 55 years old. And he picked up a drink. And they said three months later he was in the hospital. And three years later he was dead. Mm. They said the alcohol like progressed in his body. Mm. Them years he wasn't drinking. Mm. And that's when I knew that if I don't do something about this, I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So now I'm in rehab. And... um. Let me get to the part you what, what you asked yeah, yeah. me though. Um, I'm in rehab now. I'm in the front of clinical. I'm going to meetings all day. I went to like, I was going to like three meetings a day. Mm-hmm. I spent six hundred and fifty dollars on Uber down there, bro. Going to meetings, bro. Um, I joined this group called Back to Basic. They take you through the twelve steps, and they give you a sponsor. They take you through the twelve steps in in, in six weeks, mm-hmm. and they give you a sponsor. And and I and they gave me this young this this. This this young white kid and 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 I tell him to this day he saved my life, bro. And he took me through the steps, man. And when we got to step four, you got to do a fearless more inventory of your life, bro. So they give you these sheets, and you got to write down everything you did, bro. Mm. You got to write down about um, sex. You got to write down about the harms you cause. You got to write down about the resentment you you have. Mm. You know what I mean? Against anybody, you got to write everything out, bro. And then step five, I got to tell him and God the exact nature of everything. Mm. Why I did this. I did that. And details, mm. you got to put it all out there. You know what I mean? And I had never experienced a process like that. And then when we got done five... He was like, we got to pray for three things. We got to pray for God to forgive you, for God to make you a better person, and for God to give you strength to forgive yourself. Mm. And I looked at him, and he was like, yeah, you got to forgive yourself because you were sick. So then we prayed, and I went back to my dorm, bro, and I was walking in my dorm, and I could see my bed clear as day. And then a warm sensation just went through my body, bro. And a voice came in my head, and the voice said, I got you. Mm. All you got to do is serve me, and you don't never got to worry about nothing else. And it was like blinders came off of my eyes, and I could see the world like I could never see it before. Mm. And it was like God had got me, bro. And I never felt nothing like that in my life. So then I got on my knees and I asked God, like, why did I go through all of this stuff? Like, I'm with you, but please show me why I went through all of this stuff. Why did she get killed? Why did I find her? Why was I the suspect? And then to get addicted to alcohol. You know what I'm saying? So about a week later, it was time to coin out. That's when you go to the, that's your last meeting at the rehab. Or mm. two weeks later, something like that. So I go to the meeting and... It's the first time I tell my story. Now, it's the whole rehab here. It's like 150, 200 people because everybody's here from the owner to the last person that just checked in. Mm. You get what I'm saying? And I told my story for the first time and everybody froze. And it was like they was looking through me. Mm -hmm. And that's when I knew that none of that stuff I went through was about me. It was for me to get through it so I could help save people's lives. So that's what I've been doing since I left that rehab. And when it comes in terms of drinking and people realizing it, once you go past an imaginary line with alcoholism, 
even if you it could happen the first time you drink or it could happen five years in, nobody knows when it happens. But once you go past that line, you pick up an allergy. Mm-hmm. So once you take alcohol, your body gonna crave more. The normal average person gonna go to a bar, they're gonna drink one drink, one and a half drinks, maybe two. Mm-hmm. They're gonna get a warm feeling and then they're gonna be like, I'm cool. We don't, my body can't do that. Mm-hmm. Once I ingest it, I gotta have more. And I gotta have more. Mm. And I gotta have more. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So looking back on my drinking history, I probably got addicted in college. Mm. And just like you said, it's so much a part of our social lives that it's regular. Oh mm. man, last night we was just getting it in. You don't supposed to be drinking fifths and stuff in yeah. one sitting. Mm. You get what I'm saying? Either you or somebody else, y'all not supposed to be drinking three people not supposed to dust off a half gallon. Mm-hmm. That's not how drinking is. You get what I mean? Yep. But if 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 people want to really see if they really have a problem, then go and sit down and and they like they tell us in the book, go to a bar and see if you can have two or three drinks and you good. Mm. But when that allergy hits, the alcoholic, you, you gotta go get more, man. But those steps, bro, that steps changed my life, bro. Mm. Steps changed my life. Changed my life. Changed my life. Yeah, man, the, the steps, they changed my life, man. You know what I'm saying? Step one, you got to, I had to admit that I was powerless over alcohol and my life was unmanageable. And that was obvious because I, alcohol was controlling me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it was days that I would wake up and and if I took a lie detector test at 8 o'clock in the morning saying I'm not going to drink, I pass in flying colors. Right. But throughout that day, if I go out somewhere and I'll be on my way back home, it'll be like a power would take over my will, bro, mm-hmm. and just take me into the liquor Lead store. You, yeah. you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, And I'm like, damn, I'm here. I might as well mm-hmm. get. And then I'll say I'm only going to drink something light. But then once I said that allergy not, kicks not in. Not enough. And then you got to keep going. You know what I mean? Um, then step two was I came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. You know what I mean? And and I knew I couldn't do it no more. Mm-hmm. I was broken. And I had to go to God, man. You know what I'm saying? Then step three is turning my life and will over to God. You know what I'm saying? I, I did step three verbally in rehab, but me and God got my connection after I did step five. You know what I'm saying? And then step four, like I said, we got to do the moral inventory, bro. When I tell you, mm-hmm. we we rationalize stuff. I rationalize a lot of things in my head, my actions and behaviors. But when I saw myself in black and white. Hit different. <laughs> <laughs> it hit different. You know what I mean? I was embarrassed, bro. Mm-hmm. And I was ashamed. I was hurt. I just looked at it and said, bro, you terrible. Mm. You know what I mean? Now, I get the five, and I got to tell this all this to this kid that I don't yeah. even know. Mm-hmm. And after five, it humbled me, bro. After more inventory, you got to... Uh, you gotta you gotta tell it to him, God, God, and another person, which was my sponsor. Mm-hmm. It humbled me. All the ego and pride and everything I thought who Mike Melton was was totally out the window. It was like I was a little baby. Mm-hmm. So that's when I prayed. My vessel was open, and that's how the spirit came in because I was like I felt like this. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Then we get to six. Ask God to remove the defects of character. Once I looked on my list at four, I know what's wrong with me now. Mm-hmm. So now I, I I I got my list of defects. You selfish. You self centered. Mm-hmm. You 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 think everything's all about you. You 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 got control issues. This and that. I'm gonna go to God and I'm gonna pray for Him hard to show me God. Please remove these defects of character, and then I'm gonna try to put in the work to do it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Then we get to seven. Act humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. The defects of character in six are like the big things. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to cheat or I yeah. don't want to do this. I don't want to fornicate. But it's the little things in seven that mm-hmm. we humbly ask God to help us with, like, control. 
wanting to have your way, mm-hmm. wanting things to go your way. You know what I'm saying? Because me having that disease, I like to be right. I want right. everything to go my way. You feel mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Um, That's seven. Then you get to eight. That's when you got to make a list. You go back to four. You look at all the people you harmed. And then you got to make a list of people that you got to go make amends to. Mm. <laughs> before you keep going, how was that process of making amends with those people? Like- now, this the catch. This 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 the thing. That's why you have a sponsor. And it's very okay. important to work with your sponsor because it says you're willing to make amends to the people. But your sponsor is going to tell you who you actually should make amends mm, to. Gotcha. Because when you get to nine, it tells you make direct amends to the person whenever possible, except when the do so will injure you or others. Mm-hmm. So you can't go and tell somebody right. something that's going to hurt them. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, or yeah. hurt you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So in those cases, you got living amends where you just say, I'm just going to change my lifestyle. I'm not going to do that no more. I'm mm-hmm. not going to do this no more. You know what I mean? Then you get to nine, you go out and actually make the amends. And some of the amends was tough, man. Like even one with my dad, that was that was crazy because he wasn't in my life. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I think I got a I think I got a a a, a, a shoe in. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. With my sponsor. I'm like, yeah. he like, yo, I think you owe your dad an amends. And I'm like, you talking about my dad wasn't even in my life, this mm-hmm. and this. But it's a column at the end that says, what did you do before, during, or after to make the situation worse? Mm. So with my dad, when he was trying to get back in my life, I was giving him a hard time. Mm. So I had to call this guy that wasn't in my life. We got cool once I hit went to court and I hit my bottom. Mm. We got cool, but I had to call him and tell him, I apologize, dad. Mm. For trying for making your life hard when you was trying to get in my life. Then I had to make um I had to forgive all of those people during the process that I felt hurting me. Mm-hmm. Prosecutors, the people from my job, her family. Um I had to I had to forgive the the people that killed her. I'm still working on that. I'm gonna I'm gonna get to that in a second. Mm-hmm. See, because when I worked with my sponsor. He let me see things from the other people's perspectives. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying? Like, so, and when it came to the prosecutors, 99% of the time, 90-something percent of the time, the husband is involved. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So they was really just doing their job. You know what I mean? Right. Did I think the first guys went over the top some? Yeah, I do. But in essence, they was doing their job. Mm-hmm. Then with my job where I was working at, if I was the superintendent, what I would have let me in the school? You get what I'm saying? Yeah, you yeah, putting yeah, kids yeah. at risk. What if I did do it? Mm-hmm. So I, I had a chance to see it from the superintendent perspective without my feelings and emotions being involved. Now I'm sober. I'm looking at the situation in black and white. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? It's, a cl- it's clear now. Yeah. Yeah. Then with her family, they was hurt. Mm-hmm. And they wanted somebody to blame. You get what I'm saying? And I was the closest thing to the situation. Was I hurt? Yeah, but I can understand it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And I had to forgive myself, bro. Mm-hmm. Like, um, the main thing that hurt me in the beginning was um, the first thing I asked my therapist when I went in there and seen him was, why couldn't I love her like she loved me? Mm. And I was crushed by that because that's how she was with me. But I didn't get my answer until I worked with my therapist and my steps. When they started peeling back the onions of my life and I had a chance to really look at my life, Mm. I was never taught that kind of affection. My mom was super strict. She felt she had to be like that for me to be successful and don't end up in jail. You know, Mm. where we grew up at and stuff like that. Um, and my dad wasn't in my life. Mm-hmm. So I never got hugs and kisses and I love you and and this and that. I got, you better get on the roll. Right. I'm going to tear you up or this mm-hmm. or that, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So now I get with this woman that's bubbling and loving and it's like, whoa. You know what I mean? So once I learned that from therapy and the steps, I was able to forgive myself. Mm-hmm. Because I realized that I didn't have the tools to be a good husband like that. 
Right. You get what I'm saying? Right. It wasn't learned. Yeah, 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 yeah. So then when it comes to the the guys, I forgive them, but I want to have a conversation with them. Mm-hmm. I don't know them. So I would like to know how they was raised to become that those kind of people to, to do something like that. Right. Then maybe I could correlate their their behavior to something that might have happened to them mm-hmm. while they was while they was uh being raised. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, but I, I only saw them in court. I don't know them or nothing like that. So the other people I have conversations with and relationships with. So it's 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 easier for me to jump out and just say, yo, I, I could forgive them because I understand them. Mm-hmm. I don't understand these guys. Right. Because you don't you know. You know what I'm saying? You yeah. don't know. That's that's deep. So how do you like going through all that? You saying you you forgave everybody that you could. Um, how is it grieving like today, right now? Like how how are you grieving each and every day? Grieving how- was grieving was 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 tough because I cried when I was going through that, mm-hmm. but self preservation took over. Took over. I was more worried about. Am I going to jail tomorrow? Mm-hmm. That took over. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? Yep. Um, now, I just pour into what I do now. And and I might have my moments when I think about the situation and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But my spirituality is in such a good place now that I just want to do the work of the most high mm-hmm. while I'm here, bro. Because... One thing I did learn in life was that I chased all of that stuff, bro. Mm-hmm. The money, the women, the alcohol, the parties, and all that stuff, man. And it's just like cotton candy. It look good, it tastes good, but it don't do nothing for you. Mm-hmm. I always had a hole in my soul. But when I did that fifth step, bro, that hole got filled up mm-hmm. with the Holy Spirit. And living for God is... The best thing that I did, bro, I'm really, and it's the first time I said this publicly, those of you, the first person that's going to hear this and stuff. Right now, I'm working at a, a, a rehab with adolescent kids, and being in that feeling, feel is my passion. Mm-hmm. So this weekend might be my last tournament, bro. Mm. With B-Ball Spotlight. Wow, and that's crazy because I was going to talk about that towards the end. <laughs> yeah, man. Mm, so how you feel? Like you, you said you found your passion. How you yeah. feel about this last tournament? That's so um, you said this weekend coming up. So I got, yeah. I got to drop this Friday. Um, um, because the Most High has me going in a different direction, man, mm-hmm. and. I worked in a rehab before that over in PA. Mm-hmm. And then when the COVID situation and all of that started getting crazy, we had an outbreak yeah. and I had to get knee surgery. I left. And now I'm at a different one up in Marlboro. But when you see the light come on, when you see somebody come in broken mm-hmm. and you're working with them and you're working with them and you're working with them, and then you see that light come on that they want to live again. Mm-hmm. And that light, and you see it, bro, that feeling of seeing them really want life and really want God and really turn into another person. Mm -hmm. I got a man that's right now that's 60-something years old that texts me every day and be like, bro, you saved my life. And I'm like, hell, man, I'm doing my job, but... And I'll be telling him just a servant of God. I didn't save your life. He just put me in your life. Mm. But when you see that you're helping people like that, it's a it's a feeling that I can't explain, bro. Right. And what I just thought about is like with B-Ball Spotlight, you, you were impacting the youth. Mm-hmm. Now your 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 passion and what you what you're gearing towards next is you're still impacting lives now. It's yeah. not it's not just youth. Yeah, yeah, people yeah. People older than you, people mm-hmm. younger than mm-hmm. you, and 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 I commend you for that because many people not into they all about me, 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 me. How mm-hmm. can I mm-hmm. do better for me myself? Mm-hmm. How can I get paid more? All that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. But 
you've even through everything you went through has always been about the impact with you. And mm-hmm. I and I respect you for that and commend you, like I said, because most people they they all about self and not the impact and the growth of others. So Nah, because that's that's, that's, because that's big. I, because I owe God, bro. Mm-hmm. Like, just being real, because I could be real with you on here. Um, when I did that fourth step and I saw myself, it really let me see how beautiful God is, and He gave me a second chance. You get what I'm saying? Yep. Mm-hmm. Like He gave me a second chance because. When I, when I told you things got dark, mm-hmm. I went wild with it. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But in the back of my mind, I still used to think about what if you 70 or 80 if I'm blessed to live that long, mm-hmm. right? And you on your deathbed and you look at your life and you say to yourself, yeah, Mike, you did the basketball thing. Mm-hmm. He was making money from it. But what did you really stand for? All you really wanted to do was party and chase women, and then you don't got no time to fix nothing. Mm-hmm. How I would have felt. He gave me a second chance to rewrite mm-hmm. my life. Rewrite your story. You get what I'm saying? Yep. For me. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. and for him to and for me to get into them gates. Mm-hmm. Like he gave me a chance. He didn't have to do that. Right. You get what I'm saying? Everybody don't get second chances. That's what I'm, that's <laughs> yeah. what I'm trying to say. That's what I'm trying mm-hmm. to say. You know what I mean? Like, and that's where I'm at with my life right now. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, people were saying, like, when Kevin Samuels just died, mm-hmm. maybe a, a week ago, two weeks ago, whatever it was. Yeah. You know what I mean? Everybody was in the uproar. Everybody was in the uproar, like, the debating about if some people was happy and some people was mad and mm-hmm. was he good, was he bad? You know what stood out to me? God. And this is no knock on the brother. Like, this is just the facts of the situation. He died in a bed with a woman that wasn't his wife. Mm-hmm. And that made me get on my knees more and thank God for the mercy and grace he had for me. Because you know how many mornings I woke up? In the bed with somebody that wasn't my wife. Right. And I could have died in my sins. Mm-hmm. That makes me realize, yo, you got to go harder at what you're doing to please him. Because, you know, he showed me mercy mm-hmm. and grace. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. And, bro, after that fifth step, the way I see the world and everything is just totally different. Oh, you wouldn't have never thought sitting here that I would tell you like, yo, you, you gonna back up with just basketball spot, like yeah, like that I, caught me off guard. Because <laughs> <laughs> I see you be posting like, and I saw you posted it was a tournament coming up, so I'm thinking, all right, summer. But if you summer look at my around, Instagram, it ain't been much. It's different. Yeah, it's different. It's a different. You posting different. It's not as much basketball. Yeah, it, it, yeah, yeah. More quotes. Yeah, more, more Bible yeah. verses. Yeah. I know this, but I ain't think like, oh. Yeah, he's... nah, it's like, he's like, and another thing too is that my faith, I'm really not supposed to work on Fridays and Saturdays, Friday night, Saturday night. Okay. For the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. And I've been feeling convicted. At first, I blamed it on like the income, mm-hmm. I said I need to have it most high for me to be able to work. You know what I mean? Then I blamed it on, like what you said, working with the kids Mm -hmm. and that. I still kept feeling convicted about working on the Sabbath. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Because that's one of the commandments. Keep the Sabbath holy. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And now he gave me this job where I can't use the income thing no more. Mm -hmm. You get what I'm saying? Yep. (laughs) Yep. I can't. I can't. I can't do that no more. Mm-hmm. And then when I try to say for the kids, it's a million tournaments and camps and stuff now. Right. So I can't use that no more. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying? So it's like, I want to go all the way in, man. You at where you're supposed to be in life. You following what the higher power is telling you. You're not 
letting him lead you away from what he's trying to get you to. And yeah, and but I fought. I, I I I was I was fighting it, bro. I'm being real, I'm like sure. because I shared it. In, I shared it in my meeting I went to last night. Um, because it was my baby, mm-hmm. and I yeah. built it into something. But the passion for it is not like it was. Mm-hmm. I got passion for this now because I know if I just help, if my story, when somebody watches it, just help one person. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying? That's, I got passion to go talk to kids and, and people from all different places. I don't charge no money or nothing to speak, bro. It's like, I got to do this because of what he did for me. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, and I want people to know, especially our people, that, you can get through things and you can get help for alcohol, man. Mm-hmm. There's so many people I know that's struggling with this disease. And, and don't know it. Yeah. Yeah. Don't know it. But some people do know it and they're ashamed to get the help because of the stigma. Mm-hmm. And it's accepted so much in our community. Mm-hmm. Like we're a joke about, it. oh, man, he's just an alcoholic, yeah. man. You know what I mean? But when he really is. Yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. You know what I'm saying? And it's it's a, it's a it's a shame, man. And I just want to be, I'm transparent with it because I had a decision to make when I got out of rehab because nobody really knew. Mm-hmm. Only my, my, my closest friends and my family. Mm-hmm. And I was like, God was like, you got to use your basketball platform. And what my, what my um, what my validation was when I came home, I went on ESPN. No, I went on YouTube to watch some videos about alcohol, and I saw a Chris Heron's story. Mm. And I said, nobody does that in our community. Right. Nobody's vulnerable or transparent enough to say, to go out and tell people what they're going through. Mm-hmm. What's really going on inside them? You get what I'm saying? Yep. Because everybody's worried about what somebody's gonna think and their ego and pride and the stigmas. So it's a whole room full of people that's suffering, but nobody want to say they're suffering because they don't want to be the first person to do it. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying? So, because a lot of people in the fellowship don't believe in breaking your anonymity. Mm. You know what I mean? They don't believe in you telling because they 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 be more worried about well well if if I slip up then more a lot of people are going to think that the fellowship don't work mm-hmm. or um somebody might use it against me mm-hmm. but I'm working for him bro right you know what I mean I don't care about none of that mm-hmm. you're going to take care of everything I need mm-hmm. you get what I'm saying like I just got to keep trying to do the next right thing mm. well I appreciate you telling your story I was going to ask about B-Ball spotlight um but it is a uh, is it a tournament this weekend? Yeah, yeah. It's so, it's it's. I didn't make the final decision, but okay. it's like ninety some percent. Yeah, that like, um, I had I had a ball though. I had a run, bro. Yeah. <laughs> when I see you guys, you Chandler, uh, um, you got uh, a bunch Franz, of people. Uh, like when I, I'm talking about when I see oh, y'all yeah, particular, yeah, 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 yeah. um. It brings back love, man. Mm-hmm. It brings back love. Just the whole connections of basketball and and the whole thing and this and that. But I just feel like to get closer to him, sometimes he wants you to to give up something that mm-hmm. you really looked at as an idol mm-hmm. more than him. And for years, basketball was my idol. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying? Yep. Like, that's what I lived for. That's what I... That's what I did. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And now I just want to really totally throw my hat in the ring with him and let him guide me through whatever's supposed to happen next. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, this is probably one of the deepest. Powerful. I was saying that when I came down, I was like, he probably going to be like, yo, this, nah, I didn't that, expect all of this, bro. No, nah, I did though. Oh, after yeah, you saw the, after uh, watching all out, yeah, you know, yeah. I did my little research, but. It, it, I knew it was going to be powerful, and this this is good for my viewers and listeners uh-huh. um, because it's a different aspect, but you're still 
a playmaker in a different way. It yeah, yeah. Like I yeah. say, it ain't just sports where you can be a playmaker. It's yeah. anything in life. Yeah. And you, you impacting lives at where you work at at the rehab now. So you, oh, you're, man, you're, you're a kids, playmaker. Yeah, and it's crazy how the most high work, like, I never thought. One of my cousins told me about a couple of weeks ago, you going back into teaching. And I was like, man, I ain't never teaching you. This was like a month ago, I swear to God. He said, you going, man, you're going to be teaching again. And I was like, man, you you, you bugging. I ain't going mm-hmm. back no teaching. So I wanted to, once I got my surgery, I was like, maybe give me like, a, I had my surgery February. I was like, two months after my surgery, I'm going to go, I want to work in a rehab again. Mm-hmm. So I had went to New Hope in Marlboro, whatever. And I wanted to work in adult rehab. Mm-hmm. And they was like, um, all right, we got a spot. But, yo, you, you ever think about working with the kids? Nah, I ain't working <laughs> with no kids. Right? So I made that point yeah. blank clear. So the adult people, they 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 interviewing me, this mm-hmm. and that. They like, only shift we got is 3 to 11. I'm like, bro, I'm not giving y'all my life. Mm-hmm. 3 to 11, that's... I'm just giving you all my life. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So so they, they was like, won't you just do 3 to 11 until the 7 to 3 open up? Mm-hmm. Nah, <laughs> I'm not doing that. Y'all not tricking me with that. I'm not doing that. I'm going to wait for God. Mm-hmm. So two weeks later, I go to New Hope on a commitment to speak at the detox. Mm. I'm downstairs speaking or whatever, blah, blah, blah. I'm speaking at the detox, right? The dude from the adolescence walked past. He like, yo, 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 yo. I might got something for you. I might got something for you. And I'm looking at him. I'm like, I told this cat I wasn't, <laughs> I didn't want to mess with no kids. He said, I got seven to three though. Mm. So he was like, call me. So I called him on a jack and he was like, I want you to uh, work with these kids and the thing. And I'm like, word, he like, Seven to three, but the most you're going to have is about four kids in your class. Mm-hmm. You're going to teach like three or four classes. And then you got, you know what I'm saying? You get to um, impact their lives and this mm-hmm. and this. So I was like, look at the most high. That's why they say, if you want to hear God laugh, tell him your plan and how it's going to work out. Mm-hmm. And then he's going to laugh at you because we don't control nothing. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So the first thing I did when I got in there was introduce myself and I let them see that cold case thing so they could really see like, mm. yo, this dude went through a lot. He wanted us. Yep. And I also let them know that I'm in recovery too. Mm. So I'm fighting the same struggle they fighting because I only got a day. Just because I ain't pick up a, a drink in over three years, I only got just for the day. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Every day my goal is to get through the day and then make it back home. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And I go to a meeting every day. Like when I leave here, I'm going to go to a meeting. Mm-hmm. I, even though I work, I still I still go to a meeting every day. Mm. Well, I thank you for sharing your story. Um, like I said, it was powerful. I hope you all, you know, enjoy it. Take something from it. Like like Mike said and like I always say on the podcast, is as long as we can impact one person – um, mm-hmm. We did our job. So, any last words before we wrap this episode? Nah, just um, we living in some tough times, man, mm-hmm. and it's a lot of wickedness in this world, man, and it's it's a lot of spiritual warfare that's going on. A lot of people think it's carnal, but it's it's not. Mm-hmm. It's really dark forces, man. You know what I mean? And one of the things that I did in my um. And my walkers really figure out who I was when it, after I did my steps. And then I got into my faith and, and I figured out who I was in the Bible. And once I figured out who I was in the Bible, I understood all of this. Mm. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. What, what's, what's, what's really, really, really going on. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I think if our people were taught the right way early on coming up who we really were, a lot of things to be different. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying? Yep. And since we weren't, um, we in we we in the situation that we in. You know what I mean? And we understand about the situation if we was taught more. Mm-hmm. We're behind. We're trying to catch up. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? But um, if you read uh, Deuteronomy 28, it it it'll give you a 
a real story of who we are and why we in this situation that we in. Mm. And I'm going to end with that. I ain't going to get off. <laughs> nah, you good. You good. <laughs> well, we appreciate Mike, like I said, for coming through part two um, of the podcast. This is episode 77. We hope you enjoy it. Don't forget to subscribe, comment, leave a leave a comment, leave a review. Let us know what you think about this episode. Once again, I'm Reggie Coleman. Thank you again, Mike, for coming through. Right, man, I appreciate it, Visit our website at theplaymakerpodcast.com and subscribe on Apple Podcast and Spotify. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.